0: and it, you know you walk down from here and uh, you know after a couple of steps and you're like oh man you know better luck next time kind of thing and all the feedback was like that was amazing i gotta listen to it again i'm like who are you people what are you hearing because i'm not hearing it so <laughs> i'm lowering your expectations is what i'm trying to do right now it's christmas though i mean how can you how can you blow that i mean honestly as long as you talk about jesus and his birth, were good. Um, and so there's a lot of things I wanted to do here. A couple things was, uh, well, the main the main thrust of the teaching is God speaks. He just does. And he speaks more now than he ever has before. And I don't think we understand that fully or a lot of times forget that. And so hopefully I'll be able to take you through some scriptures this morning um, to help you understand that um, he's speaking now more than he ever has before by his Holy Spirit and through us and uh, and to us. So let's pray and we'll get started. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you, first of all, show us from the beginning of time to the end of time um, how things are going to unfold or how things did unfold. And uh, we can see where we are in history. We can see where um, our ministry is. And we can see what people have done in the past with their ministry. And these are examples for us and to encourage us and to build us up in our faith. And I pray that that happens this morning. We're so thankful to celebrate another Christmas, Lord, to celebrate another birthday of yours. We're so thankful you came. We're so thankful you fulfilled all the prophecies and that you came because you loved us, that you were sent, and this was a plan from the beginning of time uh, to redeem us, and it's all a big love letter. And so, Lord, we, we appreciate that, and we love you, too. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Throughout the Bible, God has spoken. It says in various times and in various ways, God has spoken to his people through the prophets, through Moses, it says in Hebrews. but He says in these last days, he's spoken to us through his son, Jesus Christ, and he has. And so, again, as we go through this teaching, I'm going to tell you now what I hope you get at the end, um, is that God began to speak off and on, sporadically, through the Old Testament. And I don't think we can quite appreciate how sporadic those conversations really were. In the sense that there was 20 years difference between speaking and speaking again to God for Abraham. A couple different times throughout Scripture, we have gaps of times that are decades long. But of course, the Bible doesn't share with us what happens during de- those decades. kind of goes right on into the next story. Between the judges, there's huge gaps of time that pass. 20 years, 10 years, and so on. And so when we read the Old Testament, it's easy for us to get the idea that, boy, he was active back then. Boy, he really spoke to a lot of people. And we resign ourselves maybe to that place where we think, well, this you know, that's how he used to speak. And now, now we have his word to remind us of the good old days, to teach us what we need to know. And in a sense, maybe he isn't speaking to us anymore. And that's not the case. It's not true. In fact, what we'll see is, throughout the Old Testament, it's sporadic, but when Jesus shows up, we're going to go through several times. It's a moment-by-moment speaking. God talks to Mary. He talks to Joseph. He talks to Zacharias. He moves Joseph. He tells him to get up. He tells him to come back. He tells him to move up. It's just a constant in and out, navigating through this dark world. Joseph doesn't know what's happening worldwide. He doesn't have television. He doesn't have CNN. He doesn't have anybody telling him, What's going on around him or what's happening in that country or this country? He goes to bed. God gives him a dream and he obeys and he goes and does what God led him to do. Now, as that's happening and we see God speaking more and more, we actually have Jesus then doing his ministry. And he's actually telling everybody every word out of his mouth is God's word because he's God come in the flesh. So for three and a half years of ministry, Jesus is telling everybody everything they need to know. That's pretty good from sporadic to moment by moment for us to Jesus constantly for three and a half years, but it gets better than that. And that's what we'll conclude today, that he speaks more now than he ever has in the history of mankind. And we need to be listening and following just like what we're about to read. Before Jesus was born, there were several prophecies. I don't have time to go through them all, so I'm going to focus on two. Malachi, the very last book of the Old Testament. The very last words of the Old Testament are a prophecy about the forerunner of Jesus Christ. And what I mean by that is someone who's going to go before the Messiah and make a way for the Messiah to come in behind him. And the prophecy is about this person's ministry, and this person is John the Baptist. So in Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 through 6, it says this, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. That's a forerunner. That's speaking of John the Baptist, okay? And we'll get to that in a minute. The second prophecy was before that, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7, speaking of the Savior, the Messiah that would come, Jesus. He says, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. Most of the world had to wrestle with. But throughout the Old Testament, they were always told, as we've been going through Chronicles and we've been going through the first five books of the Bible look for Messiah, look for Messiah, Messiah Messiah's coming, Messiah's coming. They're all told that. So they're all prepped and ready. Malachi and the last prophecy we read about John the Baptist, the last words of that prophecy, there's 400 years of silence between Malachi and the Gospels, between Malachi and the coming of Jesus Christ, 400 years of nothing. I have a hard time going a week or so without reading God's word. I I don't do that anymore. I can't do that anymore. Well, my job says I can't do that anymore. I'm up here. If I haven't read it, boy, you're in trouble. You know? I can't imagine going 400 years without hearing from God and just going through the motions going through the rituals. You can understand maybe why when Jesus shows up that the outer courts that were meant for the Gentiles have kind of been overrun. Things have decayed. We're not meeting God anymore. The Shekinah glory doesn't rest upon the temple. The cloud, the pillar isn't there. When the priests go in to go uh, pray and to put incense on the altar to pray to God, they don't hear from the Lord anymore. They don't get any feedback from him. That's why Zacharias is so surprised by his moment with God. Well, the the angel. They're not prepared for that. Things have decayed. It's been 400 years. That's a long time. That's older than our country, plus plus 100 plus. You know, a long time to not hear from the Lord, but to continue on with the religion side of things and not hear from him. When God begins to speak again, boy, does he ever start to speak. We're going to pick up our story here in the environment of hopelessness. The Roman government has taken over Israel. The oppression is at its worst it's ever been. There's been an uprising, as far as we can tell. Barabbas has been arrested as a lead insurgent against the Roman government. He was their hero. He was their hope. He was the one that was going to lead the rebellion against this Roman yoke and break it and bring him back, but He got caught, and now he's in prison. And so that gives you a little insight as to why they were screaming for Barabbas to be released instead of Jesus. He was their national champion, their deliverer, their their new judge as far as they were concerned. That's what's happened, but it's failed. We're going to pick up the story in Luke chapter 1, verse 8. Let's turn there. We'll toggle between that and Matthew. Matthew. The Gospels are happening simultaneous. If you didn't know that, but some skip parts and emphasize other parts, and so that's why we have to jump around to get to get to get to get the clear picture. Luke chapter one, beginning in verse eight, Zacharias has got his turn. He's going into the temple um, to lift up the prayers for the nation, and it says in verse. 5, let's see, verse 8, so it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing on the right side of the altar of incense, and when Zacharias saw him he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And here's our prophecy from Malachi. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zacharias said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is well advanced in years. The angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel. Gabriel. Who stands in the presence of God and who was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place. Because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. It's like God picked up the story 400 years later. It's like, you ever have those kind of friends in your life? There's certain kind of friends. Some friends are high maintenance. They want to hear from you all the time. I haven't heard from you in a week. I'm sorry. Nothing's changed. Literally. My life is the same year in and year out. So, what did you do last Sunday? I went to church. I taught the Bible. You know, there's other folks that I have in my life. I could see him ten years later, and we just we'd start laughing about the last thing we laughed about. <laughs> you remember I do I? Do yeah. It's like no time, and that's how God is with His people. To Him, it's nothing. Four hundred years they haven't heard from. All of a sudden, He shows up. Zacharias. You know? Can you imagine? We're not supposed to see people. We're not supposed to talk to people. We haven't heard anything. We come out and say, I think it worked, basically. Every year for 400 years, they've been doing this. But an angel standing at the right hand decides to talk to him. Don't oh, worry, he's afraid. And he starts talking about the last thing he told him in Malachi. Remember that prophecy? It's starting now. Wow. And by the reaction of the angel... Zacharias was expected to be ready for that. How can this thing be? He goes on to talk about his credentials. You can see Gabriel get a little miffed, you know. I'm the one that stands at the right hand of God, and he sent me to tell you these things, but because you don't, I mean, he doesn't give him a chance to come. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. No words. He says, you're just going to be quiet now until the baby's born. So you're going to get nine months of silence, mutism, you know. Okay. He was expected to know. He was expected to receive. Every time those priests went in there, today might be the day that God speaks again. Today might be the day. Always listening. Always ready. Gaps shouldn't matter. It doesn't mean God is faithless. Just because we haven't heard from him recently, you know? No, I told you that I would send him, and I'm sending him. 400 years in between those two things. Amazing. Amazing. So, he's mute, but God begins to speak, and boy, he doesn't stop. Move on to verse 26 of the same chapter in Luke. He moves over, the angel, over to Mary. Now, in the sixth month, the angel of Gabriel was sent by God to the city of Galilee, named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. When she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and he shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. That's Isaiah being fulfilled picks up Malachi right off the bat with Zacharias, and he picks up Isaiah chapter 9 right up right away with Mary. This is the fulfillment of everything you've ever read, because they would wonder about that one. That Isaiah 9.6 is a tough one. We understand there's a Messiah. They were looking for someone like Moses, and still are. A man, a deliverer, a, a judge of some kind. Someone who's been in due with some special powers maybe or something, but for the most part, just people, just a guy like Moses. And so they've been looking for this Messiah. So you come across this Isaiah 9-6, and he starts talking about it being a child. A child? Well, why do we need to know about the child? Oh, well, Moses was a child. We learned about him and his little boat on the Nile. Okay. But then the prophecy continues. The son is given. Son is given. Well, I guess you could call it that. You know, she's, God's given her a son. It's not how it's worded, but we could twist that a little bit. The government will be upon his shoulder. Good. We like that. We're all about that. Here's his name. It's going to be wonderful. Yeah. We'd expect our deliverer to be wonderful. He's a counselor. Good. Mighty God. Hold on. Hold on. Mighty God. We're going to call him Mighty God. That's his name. Mighty God. Or he calls upon the Mighty God. Who knows how they twisted that part of it. Everlasting Father. Everlasting Father just in case you twisted Mighty God, now you've got to call him the Everlasting Father. Hold on a minute. This is hard for them. This is one of those passages that they would read and say, we'll get back to that one when we have more information about this. Because it doesn't line up with the way we're thinking, because we're thinking of someone like Moses, and he's not Everlasting Father, and he's not a Mighty God for sure. And yet those are the promises of the Savior that are coming to pass in Jesus. Jesus isn't just a Moses. Jesus is God come in the flesh. And she's told that. You are going to bear, he says in verse 35, the angel answered and said to her, as she questions, how can this be? I don't know a man. I've never known a man. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also, that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. as we said. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her, who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. She said, let it be done according to your word. God is speaking sporadically, 400 year gap, but when he wants to talk again, here he goes. Boom, boom, boom. Now, He's got her on board. He's got Zacharias informed. We've got to talk to Joseph now. So that's when you switch over to Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Joseph's already been betrothed to Mary. Mary's getting to the news. She's with child now. And so we need to tell this future husband what's happening. It's not just what you think it is. In verse 18 of chapter one of Matthew, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows: "After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make a pu- make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. In other words, he didn't believe. I can't believe that Mary would have kept it silent, but maybe she did. But more than likely, she tried to explain to everybody, here's what God said. This is God's son. She she tells Zacharias, his wife. She tells her cousin. So she's telling everybody what's going on, but Joseph isn't, I don't know what she's talking about, but I don't want to make a public example of her. I'm going to put her away quietly. I'm going to just not get married to her quietly. We'll just break the engagement here. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And She will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Boy, but he's glad for that message. Because it says he was going to put her away, but he was thinking about it. He didn't want to. He to put her away. I mean, he was looking forward to that. You know, being married to her. Then it gets this dream from the Lord. Nobody's on board with these people. I just want you to be aware of that. There's no support group here. There's no group of people around Zacharias and his wife and John the Baptist saying, "Oh, this is is so amazing, you know, that you know. In fact, when they try to name the baby John, they say, no one's named John in your family. That's the kind of support they had. You get the wrong name. You picked the wrong name. No, we're going to call him John. Mary? We know Mary had zero support. We don't even know if she had support from her family, immediate, but we know she didn't have support from her town. Because later on when Jesus ministers in that town, they said to him, we were not born of sin, like you, in other words. So her whole time she grew up with this baby raising Jesus, everybody knew that he was born out of wedlock, that this is some made-up story. All of these people have to go off of what the Holy Spirit's told them, either by an angel or through a dream or whatever. They have to trust that what they've heard from God is true, and they would make life decisions based off of that with no support around them. I hope you're hearing me this morning every person in this room needs to be listening and paying attention to the leading of the Holy spirit in your life. And the rest of the world may think you're crazy for making life decisions based off of what God has showed you, but you need to do it anyway, because God showed you nobody's sticking their finger in the wind to try to see, which way's the right way to go? None of these people are looking around to see which people are running that way. Should I run with this crowd or should I run with that crowd? God is navigating them through the darkest time in their history by the leading through dreams and through visions and through prophecy and through appearing of angels. I mean, wow. And we look back at this and we say, well, I could certainly use that. We've got to be careful because God's given us something better than what we're reading. And that's the whole point of this. Sporadically, they would get spoken to decades apart throughout the Old Testament, walked with the Lord, good for them, but didn't hear from God nearly as often as we think they did. Now, guiding, angels, things like that, Jesus in person, every single word. But then Jesus says, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you. And it's far better. They're like, don't go away, Jesus. Don't go away. Don't ascend. Don't die. Don't do any of the things you're talking about. I want you to stay right here. We like sitting around the campfire with you. We like you telling us stuff, the mountain, five five loaves, two fish. We want that all day long. He says, no, it's to your advantage that I go away because if I don't go, I won't send the Holy Spirit. And if I do go, I will send the Holy Spirit and he will be in you. We have it far better than any of the people, and I think we forget that sometimes. Far better than anybody that's ever existed in history. We have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, leading and guiding us. We don't need angels to show up. I don't need a dream or a vision. I can still have them, that's fine, but I have the Holy Spirit who's ever-present with me. Sometimes we use the wrong words. We don't mean to. We say, oh, Lord, we pray your Holy Spirit would meet with us. Well, okay, okay. We do. What we mean by that is, we hope that we're paying attention enough to hear the Holy Spirit. But He's never gone from us. We're just tuned out to Him, and all we're really praying is, God, help us to tune in this morning when we sing, when we hear Your Word. Help us to tune in and hear Your voice. Sometimes um, we watch the uh, we watch Christmas movies, um, Elf, eh, you know, funny. But it's it's the star one for the kids with the with the animals. We like that one. It's a pretty good one. It's a little modern, but it's, it's pretty good. We get the idea. The heart's right in it anyway. You can really tell, the heart's right on it. But then we watch the nativity, which I just really like. I really like. Um, I think they I think they got it. And one of the things, one of the scenes they put in there, and it's interesting. Whoever did this movie, really, I think, was truly led by the spirit when they did this part. Anyway, I mean, I'm sure everybody's got critical things to say about it, but that's what we do. We criticize, but um, when Mary's sitting there with the teacher who's teaching all the kids and, and the teacher's teaching the very scripture, how,
1: uh, and
0: then there was an earthquake, but God wasn't in the earthquake. And then there was a fire, but God wasn't in the fire. And then there was a still small voice, you know? And I think we read the old Testament, and we're like, look at that fire. I mean, look at that earthquake. Look at these amazing things happening, you know. Man, I wish I could take my son and tie him up and take him to the top of a mountain and almost kill him but then not kill him and find a ram stuck in a thicket nobody ever said, you know. (laughs) Wow. And yet we have his still small voice. We have his Holy Spirit, which is far better, he says, speaking to us if we'll listen. And so God is guiding these people, navigating through these dark times. And I hope we take away from this message this morning that we're going to need that same kind of attentiveness to the Holy Spirit. Because people will be running in that direction, and people will be telling us to go in that direction, to do this, that, or the other thing, to believe this, to not believe that. And like Joseph, you won't have anybody to look to for truth other than the Holy Spirit in you, leading and guiding you, telling you which way to go to trust that, to make life decisions based off of that. Next, we got some wise men. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. These guys are moved by an event in the heavens, so much so that they, they pack up and they go who knows how far from the east. Months they've been traveling, if not longer, following this star. They don't know what they're looking for. They think it's a king. We're going to go say, pay homage to him. I think they have their own idea of what they're about to run into. They've seen births of kings before. This is a pretty special one. The heavens have declared his glory. We're seeing this. We're going to follow him. But they're being moved by a star. And I wonder how many of their folks, I mean, honestly, there's only three of them. Do you think there was only three wise men or do you think most of them stayed home? They followed. These three followed. And they bought gifts. They They knew they were going to find this baby. They knew they were going to offer up gifts. They knew it. And they're led by the circumstances of this star, this supernatural event. But we don't see the rest of the world doing it. Just these three show up. There's not a stream of thousands and thousands of people finding Jesus as a toddler in his home and offering him gifts. It's just these three. I only say that because everybody's being, well, not everybody, the people we're speaking of are the only ones seeing and hearing. It's not a worldwide phenomenon. So, they go where they're supposed to, verse 3, then Herod, the king heard this, he was troubled, because he was king, what do you mean new king, and all Jerusalem with him, and when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes from the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born, what is this new king, where is he born, oh yeah. yeah, we knew about this, thanks for telling me, I'm filling in the gaps, <laughs> So they said to him in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So Herod said, secretly, called the wise men to himself, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. It says that, Now the star appeared again. When they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. They weren't expecting that. I believe they were expecting to find a king. I think that's one of those things that they got right in this movie, the nativity, the reaction, the joking around that oh, we got to get there. Let's go find this king. And when they actually show up and see him, their, their faces say it all. They're, they're dumbfounded at the majesty and the beauty. They don't care where they are. They just realize who they're with. I think anybody that's ever been told about Jesus Christ and told they need to be born again, my whole life that's been happening to me. My whole life, someone's been trying to tell me, I need Jesus, I need to be born again, I've got to get saved. Yeah, yeah, I got it, I hear it, I know it. But when it happened, it was far more than I expected it to be. It was not a creed that I had to raise my right hand and repeat after me, like a swearing-in into the military or something. Putting my right hand on the Bible, saying, I promise to do everything Jesus tells me to do, so help me God. mm mm-hmm. It's far more than that. When these kings show up, when these wise men show up and see Jesus, they fall down and begin to worship. Oh, man. I think the gravity of it hit them. And anybody that's ever been born again knows that gravity when it hits you. It's like, this is not a creed. This is not a religion. This is not a philosophy. This is not like anything I've ever encountered before. This is a person. This is God come in the flesh. I'm in the presence of the living God. He's filling me with his Holy Spirit. What is this? And all you can do is worship. So they do what they do, and they give the gifts. It says in verse 12, as they're done giving the gifts, as they're done worshiping, then being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Don't go back and tell them what you've seen. Just a moment-by-moment leading, guiding, course correction. They had every intention of going back. We found the baby. That was amazing. Herod is going to be... so. Don't tell Herod. All right. Good to know. We won't do that then. And they go a different direction. Now... Herod realizes that they've duped him and that they're not coming back to tell him that has been too long. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Right after the wise men were told to go a different way and said, Take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there till I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. Wow. You need to pick up your family and move to another country. You don't do that. We've been told our whole lives not to go to Egypt. Moses, you know, their whole lives they have been told. And an angel comes in a dream and says, I want you to take up this young family. I mean, you think it's hard raising a toddler in a well-equipped home with fences and toys and toilets nearby and food in the fridge and all that. Imagine, let's hop on a donkey and make a, who knows how long of a trip, months to get to Egypt with this toddler. I want you to go. And he does. He does it simply because God told him to do it. Didn't have to explain it. Probably was asked a lot of, where are you going? Uh, God told me to go to Egypt. Why are you going to Egypt, Joseph? There's always those people in your life. There will always be those people. What do you mean? I mean, that's ridiculous. That doesn't even make any sense. What's in Egypt? You're a carpenter. You know? How are you going to get a job there? What are you going to do there? How are you going to do that? Doesn't you know, God told me to go to Egypt, okay? But the spirit, the things of the spirit, they don't make sense to the people of the flesh, the people that aren't following God, that aren't walking with I found a scripture I wanted to post, and I haven't yet because it's almost too controversial. It says, have nothing to do with the unbeliever. What fellowship can an unbeliever have with a believer? What fellowship can light have with dark? And in fact, one of the translations says, what fellowship can anybody have with the devil if you're a son of God or a child of God? Literally throwing everybody under the bus who's not spirit-filled and walking with the Lord. Literally telling you, have nothing to do with them. They have no idea what God is doing with your life. I was like, man, I want to... Oh, man, that's a heavy thing. That's a heavy thing. It doesn't mean that we don't love them and that we don't minister to them and we don't but you've got to understand they have no wisdom to offer you. They have no direction to give you. It's only the if you're following the Lord, if you're madly in love with Jesus Christ, he's the only one that's going to know what's going on. The rest of the world doesn't know that Herod's about to send his squad into that city and wipe out every child 2 years old and under and, and younger. They don't know that. They don't have that information. God does, and God says, I want you to leave, and they do. He goes to Egypt, and right after they leave, here comes Herod's henchmen. That's mild. I wanted to use something like jackbooted thugs or something like that. You know? First of all, who obeys an order like that, but whatever. I don't hold those guys unaccountable. They're accountable for what they did that night takes him and gets him away. So now they're in Egypt. It says in verse 19, the next time God speaks, now when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to, in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the young child's life are dead. Then he arose and took the young child and his mother and came to the land of Israel. Time to go back, honey. God told me in to a dream we can head home. I mean you got to put yourself in Mary's shoes too. Of course I know she's walking with the Lord and she understands her husband's being led by God. But it's a beautiful thing but he's not telling her, he's telling her husband and she's saying, "You bet, let's go." What a great what a great team. What a beautiful thing to see a marriage work like that. When the husband's leading in a direction, they said, "Well, he didn't tell me, but that's okay." I'm just trying to keep the son of God happy on the on the donkey on the way, you know. I spy with my I don't know what they played all the way back but man another dream another guidance now if that wasn't good enough verse 22 but when they when they heard that um, Archelaus was reigning over Judea instead of his father Herod he was afraid to go there and being warned by God in a dream another one he turned aside into the region of Galilee very specific No, 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 don't go back to there. I want you to go over here. You're gonna go clear out here to Galilee. Nothing ever, you know, nothing good happens over here. So go over here, and that's where I want you to raise him for now. Over in this place. And he came and dwelt in the city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. Again, God speaking to him, guiding him step by step. Now He gets to Nazareth, and that's the rest of the story. We don't hear much about them until Jesus is 12, and he gets lost and found at the temple and so on. A lot of gap there. We don't know what happened exactly. So let me jump forward to Jesus being 33-plus years old, ministering with his disciples. Twelve people really followed him. Seventy kind of followed him pretty much. All left him at the cross, by the way. None of them stood with him at the cross, believing anyway. I know John was there, but it says it all forsook him. So John was there, but mainly as a witness to the death and the death of what they thought was the ministry of Jesus Christ. But it wasn't the end. It was the beginning. Because three days later, he rises again and begins to minister to them. Throughout his ministry, he told them in John John chapter 14, John chapter 16. Read those on your own. We don't have time today. I know. All talks about the helper, the Holy Spirit, who I'm going to send promising them, I'm going to die, I'm going to rise from the dead, and I'm going to go to prepare a place for you, but I'm also not going to leave you orphans. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit, and he's going to live in you. And it's better, because not just me speaking on top of a mountain, it'll be all y'all filled with my spirit speaking. God has sporadically spoken in, in the former times of the Old Testament. He because a 500 or 400 year gap begins to speak through dreams and all that a lot more frequently. And then Jesus, oh, constantly, constantly. But I want you to know something. Now that the church is filled with his Holy Spirit, it's even louder and more than it ever has been before. Don't let it be like the 400 silence years of Malachi where the things fall into decay because God hasn't spoken. We don't have anybody. this. Sh- he doesn't need anybody else. He's got us. He's filled us with his Holy Spirit, and I want us to expectantly be used like this. In Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 8, before Jesus ascends, and being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which is a reference to John 14 and John 16. Which he said, you have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times of the seasons, which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You know where we are? We're on the end of the earth. I don't mean metaphorically. I'm saying on the other side of the world, this prophecy was given in Israel. We're standing in America, Missouri of all places, proclaiming Jesus Christ is Lord. We're fulfilling and to the end of the earth right now this morning. They're probably like thinking, what do you mean the end of the earth? What do you mean? I mean, Jerusalem, yeah, we get that. Judea and Samaria, well, that's a little stretch for us. I have to travel. To the end of the earth, we're doing that right now. It's being fulfilled. The world is absolutely saturated with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's saturated. God is screaming at the top of his th- Go to any small town in the Midwest, seven churches minimum. Not that anybody's going, I don't know. I mean, some of us get upset about why do we have so many churches. I'm just saying the gospel is out there. Yeah, Uh, the first time someone got the idea of using media, right? It's the guy in the end zone with the John 316 tablet, you know, the thing he holds up. You know that guy went to those football games. Does anybody remember that in the 70s when all of a sudden we start seeing the John 316, the end zone? We're like, I mean, I was watching a field goal, and all of a sudden this scripture pops up. Now that's a guy who was thinking ahead, Let's see. The cameras go right to the end zone, right? I'm gonna get the worst seats. <laughs> and I'm gonna pray for touchdowns. I care less about who wins, because then I get to stand up and hold up the gospel of Jesus Christ. How many people read John three sixteen that would have never read it before? Who oh, on a Sunday afternoon who don't go to church, would never darken the door of a church, all of a sudden watching the football game, the God of their choice, and they're what sorry, and they're watching it. And there comes John 3.16. I don't know what that says. And he's gotten louder and louder ever since. He's spoken clearer and clearer. He's never spoken so loud before because his second advent is upon us. It's coming. Jesus is very close to coming his second time, and that's the end of it. I'm excited for Jesus to come to him, but I hope we all realize as believers what it is we're supposed to be doing until he comes. It's not necessarily to be Barabbas's, but it is to tell people about Jesus because the end of grace is when he comes. That's the end of it. When Jesus comes his second time, there's no other opportunity to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. He comes for judgment. It's it out of his mouth, a sharp two edged sword. He comes back with vengeance and to take Aim at everybody that's an unbeliever. Understand that. So as excited as I am about him coming, boy, I want to make sure that I'm speaking as loudly as I can, being led by the Holy Spirit every single day of my life, moment by moment, feeling that, knowing that. And what I mean by feeling that is you'll go throughout your normal day and you'll get this sense, we need to go help that person. Or I need to say something to that person. In the midst of helping that person, you might get the chance to help we had a funny situation. The pastor fail teaching here, part of the teaching. Um, my daughter works at A and G's, and one of the gals that works with her says, "I need help. I locked my keys in my car." Does anybody? And she put she posts that on the A and G thing. Anybody can? Come? Well, I got a kit, and you know me, yeah, I'm ready to go. You know, I got my little pumper thing that spreads the door, and I got my, you know. And I'm in there to pop that lock. I'm ready to go. I'll go, Jenny. Or Anna. You know, here I go. And so she let her know I was coming. And this sweet little girl comes out and she's got all of her bags beside her car and she just wants to go home. You know, she can't get in her car. And so I'm in there and I'm doing my thing. And I'm you know. I cannot get this thing for nothing. I mean, I literally pulled the handle all the way open. Okay, it's supposed to pop. I pushed the button on the top. Doesn't unlock, but I hit the bottom, lock, lock, lock. You can hear The actuator going, top one, no, 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 no. I'm like, okay. Is your car broken or something? I try all the doors, you know. And then I see your keys in the console over there. Okay, well, I'm going to have to get the keys. There's a fob on it, so maybe I can, you know. So I get that thing in there. Get the keys on the, she's got a scrunchie on it. Thank goodness you gals put lots of stuff on your key rings. Lots of things I could grab. So I pull this scrunchie, sit in the car seat, and I'm going, and every time I push on the actuator, on the, you know, I get it flipped over the right way, and I'm pushing on it with my thing. It keeps sliding down the velour seats. <laughs> I love you, Jesus, you know. Keep cool. And I get this thought, you're not here for this. You need to pray. Pray out loud. Ask me for help. Did I? Nope. So I'm in the middle doing this thing, and this young gal over there goes, Oh, Lord, help. (laughs) You're kidding me. Thank you for ministering to me, young lady. You know, I have more faith in God now than I ever had before, and I'm an idiot and shouldn't be a pastor, basically. Oh, my goodness. Guys. The Holy Spirit leads and guides us like that all the time. And most of the, I mean, most of the time I can pick up on it, and I knew I should. He usually has to tell me five or six times before I actually pray out loud in front of somebody. I don't know what it is. I'm not afraid. I guess I just think I can do it. But when that happened, I realized I'm going to have to pay attention a whole lot more, move a lot faster, and be ready to, when he says jump, my response should be how high. Right? Not what? Say that again. Maybe next time. I don't know what other excuses I can come up with, but God has given us the Holy Spirit, and that's no joke. And that's not something that's a feel-good. Yes, he speaks to us through his word, but he's built into us, given us his spirit, his Holy Spirit, who leads and guides us into all truth, his word says that will lead and guide us through our lives, navigating us around all the pitfalls and all the snares in life. And although the rest of the world may be doing this and the other half of the world may be doing that, I'm going to go the direction God leads me to do, and we all have to be ready to be doing that, to tune into that Holy Spirit when he tells us, speaks to us, opportunities for ministry to do it. And that's where we close today. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you more for your Holy Spirit. Because without your Holy Spirit, the Word is is a double-edged sword. It it is a sharp, two-edged sword, but it's in your hands that it's effective. The sword of the Spirit is your Word. And it's able to cut between the joint and the marrow, between the soul and the Spirit. And so we need to be filled with your Spirit. We need to be moving by the power of your Holy Spirit, trusting that what we're hearing from you is from you, even if it's radical, even if it's... Everybody else in the world around us might think we're not, we're crazy. If it lines up with your word and your Holy Spirit's leading us to do it, we should do it. Absolutely. Help us to walk like that from here on out. Help us to see the opportunities this Christmas. As we have another three or four days before we start ministering or or getting prepared for our own celebrations at home, there's going to be a ton of people we're going to run into that aren't thinking about your advent or the celebration of your first coming. Help us to be light and salt, to be the truth, to be the love, to be the grace and the mercy that you've called us to be, to be led by your spirit, to have the right words to speak, but to never miss any opportunities this year. As we move through this Christmas season, that we wouldn't miss any opportunities to minister and to share your love and to pray with people to let our faith be out loud, that your name would be on our lips, Jesus. We thank you for the opportunity to even be used by you. Help us to be faithful. In Jesus' name, amen.